The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, November 14th, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. What a beautiful day it is here in Sonoma County. I have a very special guest joining me on the phone will be Tina Swithin, founder of One Mom's Battle and in 2020 founded the Domestic Violence Family Court Awareness Month, which is happening the whole month of November. That's this month. And we'll be talking about the importance of this uh, of this uh, uh this uh, program and also the importance of the different cities and states and counties that are supporting it. Actually, I'll have a list of, of cities and uh, actually Sonoma County is uh, has done resolutions about it. I'm really very, very excited about it. And I thought I'd give everybody a little a bit of history of it. What is Family Court Awareness Month? Family Court Awareness Month was created in 2020 by Tina Swithin, founder of One, Ma- uh, One Mom's ba- uh, Battle. The goal of Family Court Awareness Month is to shine a spotlight on systematic issues that are placing children in harm's way. In collaboration with Sandra, Sandra Ross of the California Protective Parents Association, uh, the inaugural year was memorialized with a cross-country tour that started in California and ended in North Carolina. Along the way, Swithin stopped in seven major cities uh, to uh, meet with the media and also with domestic violence advocates and family court professionals and with survivors of past separation abuse. They declared November as Family Court Awareness Month. And I'm really excited to have her on and to talk a little bit more in depth about what this program is all about and why it is so important. Well, as many of you know, we had a rerun last week. We were on vacation in San Diego. It was absolutely wonderful. I mean, the weather was beautiful and the beach. All I could do was was sit in my chair and just listen to the ocean for four days. It was just absolutely absolutely amazing a special shout out to my dear sister evelyn holtz for making all that possible it was really very very exciting i spend the four days with my daughter susan and also my granddaughter caitlin who by the way today is my daughter my granddaughter caitlin's beverly jensen's birthday Happy birthday, Katie. Oh, my goodness. It's just such an honor to have a granddaughter, and it was so wonderful spending time with her. So a special shout-out once again. Happy birthday, Caitlin Beverly Jensen, and I want to wish you a beautiful, beautiful day and a life filled with good thoughts, peace of mind, good health, and loving relationships. 
amazing, amazing, another birthday. You know, one of the one of the things that's happened to me is I'm not only a grandmother, but I'm also a great grandmother. And it's really what it does is it kind of increases that sense of, um, of of obligation, I feel, and also responsibility as well as kind of protection. And I think that's one of the reasons that I really continue with women's spaces because I believe that children are the future. And when we bring children into the world, I think we have another level of responsibility to make sure that the world is a place that is fit for them to live. I mean, I wish we would stop warring already. Anyway, one other announcement I have. Uh, there's going to be a NOW event. Uh, we're going to have Diana Greger on, who's a writer, a poet, a screenwriter, a screenplay writer, and has done many, many, many wonderful things uh, in the county, for the county here in Sonoma County. And if you want to find out information about the event, go on to the nowsonoma.org uh, website, Facebook, and all the codes and everything are there. It's going to be a Zoom program, and I'll have a little bit more information for everybody next week as we get closer. It's going to be next Monday, which is the 21st of November. My God, November's going by so quick. The 21st, it's amazing. Well, we had an election. An amazing election. You know, I was really, really happy to see that it wasn't as problematic as we all thought it would be. It felt like it felt like it was pretty smooth, actually. And people actually, when they lost, they conceded, which was amazing. Of course, you know, time will tell whether we're going to have some challenges. And what was very, very important, you know, we had Proposition 1 uh, on the November ballot, uh, the measure that would create an explicit protection for a reproductive freedom in, Cali- in the California. California Constitution. And, you know, the language is very, very simple. The the simple yet sweeping language of the measure was the state shall not deny or interfere with an individual's reproductive freedom in the most intimate decisions has been a source of contention even among some supporters of abortion rights since it was introduced this summer. And, you know, it's very interesting, you know, when you start thinking about people, uh, you know, not supporting it, the whole basis of the of the measure was actually freedom of choice. And I want to read this from Ruth Bader, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She, she put it really very, very clearly. And for you folks out there who still think that, you know, when, we're baby killers or whatever it is that be, when they when we vote for these propositions, just just listen to what uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had to say. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. When the government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a full adult human responsible for her own choices. Listen to that again. She is being treated as less than a full human re- human responsible for her own choices. It's very important that we have choice, choice over our own bodies. I mean, before you know it, they'll be taking, you know, they'll tell us what kind of vitamins we're going to take or what kind of food we can eat or what kind of home we, how we have to build our, I mean, it's, It's a matter of choice, and it's very important. And a special shout-out and a thank you to all the people that came out and voted for this measure. It's very, very important. And, of course, as we know, there's many, many threats, you know, about making abortion across the United States just totally illegal. And 
I have no idea how it's going to affect this this measure, but at, right now it's in place, and a special thank you for everybody that went out and voted. And I understand we had a pretty good turnout. And there's a few, a few still a few little, little glitches going on. It looks like the... Uh, the Democrats are going to be controlling the Senate, which I think is very positive. We might be able to get some uh, more positive judges and more uh, positive legislation uh, for the people here in, in the United States. But also what's so interesting, uh, there's a, going to be a runoff in Georgia, which I think is fascinating. And, you know, when you start thinking about it, there were two people. Was, I believe it was Herschel Walker and um, I, I can How do you pronounce What's this other man's name? Raphael Warren. Raphael Warnock were, you know, were running against each other. And there was also a third party. I think they got over 2,000 votes. And so they have to have a runoff. But what's so interesting about this whole election here is that who are we voting for and what are we voting for? And people in Georgia have to ask that question. So they're going to be doing the election, the runoff election on December 6th. And we definitely will be watching it and hopefully making it. I have my own my own things, but we're not allowed here to support any candidates, so I'm not going to say a word at this point. Well, you know, as we do every Monday, we do our history is our strength. And I wanted to pick, because it was my beautiful granddaughter's birthday, I wanted to pick only uh, events that happened today, November 14th. So here's a, a, a really interesting event that happened on November 14th, 1889. Journalist Elizabeth Cochran, also known as Nellie Bly, I love that name. I mean, there was, I believe there was a movie made about that. Sails around the world in 72, 72 days, 6 hours, and 11 minutes, and 14 seconds. Beating the fictional record set by Phineas Fogg. I like that name, Phineas Fogg, in Jules Verne around the world in 80 days. Amazing, amazing that this happened in 1889. Imagine uh, the, what the what was said about her at that time. She's going to travel around the world in that way. And another interesting thing happened on November 14, 1903. The United States Women's Trade Union League is established. You know, the first time women really they started having a union, started organizing. And then another thing I thought was very, very interesting was November 14, 1946, Emily Green Bala, co-founder of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1946. Amazing, amazing feat. You know, not many women got recognized back then. Actually, in 1946, I was six years old, and our GIs were just coming back from the war. It was uh, an amazing time, and here they, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, of course, it is Katie's birthday, and I thought to myself, I wonder... Who? What woman was born on November fifth? On uh, November fourteenth? Well, I found something fabulous. November fourteenth, nineteen oh six. That's when she was born, and she made her transition August eighth, nineteen eighty five. Mary Louise Brooks. Oh, what a woman she was! Is one of the most famous actors of the silent era, renowned much for her rebellion against the Hollywood system, for her performance in such influential films as Pandora's Box and Diary of a Lost Girl. Eight uh, uh, autobiographical uh, essays were written by Brooks on topics ranging from her childhood in Kansas uh, and er her early years as a uh, Zigville Follies dancer and to her fresh and her friendship with dancer uh, Martha Graham and also Charles Chaplin, W.C. Fields and boy Humphrey Bogart. 
what a woman. And this is, this is the most interesting thing about her. She is regarded today as an icon of the jazz age and flapper culture, in part due to the Bob hairstyle that she helped popularize during the prime of her career. Isn't that amazing? Well, happy birthday to, again, my beautiful granddaughter, Caitlin, and to Mary Louise Brooks, one of the famous, famous actors of the silent era. Wow. And, and that was a big deal, you know. It's born in uh, 1906. You know, she probably in the 1920s when she was in her 20s or 20 a little older than that, you know, becoming a movie star. And that was a big deal. And also moving out to Hollywood from Kansas was, <laughs> was probably really a, a big motivation for her and a big step for a woman to take at that time. So happy birthday to both of you. Well, we're going to take a musical break, and, you know, I try to pick the songs that kind of match with what we're going to be talking about, and today we're going to be talking about how children are affected by divorce and some of the things that happen because of the, of the court system, and there's a song called In My Daughter's Eyes, and it's sung by Sandra Turley, and the reason I, I picked it is because children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that, and you know, when I think of my own daughter's eyes, I remember, or even my granddaughters, and now a great-granddaughters great I have, that, that I look at, when they look at your eyes is with trust and with they want to know they're 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 leaning on you they're depending on you and they're looking they're looking to see how they should be in the world you know they they're little copycats that's what i call them they're just like little copycats you know they try to do everything that you do and it's so important that we realize that you know and i know that it, it it's such a it's such a struggle you know, and there are many of us out there who are single parents. There's many women out there now who don't want to have children. There's many women out there who are trying to, or debating back and forth whether they want to have children. I mean, it, there's so many options, so many choices. Remember that word. So many choices are now available for women, which is just amazing. And when I think of this song in my daughter's eyes, I think about I think about my own daughter. You know, when I was going to school, how how she would sit on my lap and or be if I was doing my homework or writing a term paper, she'd be on the floor with her books. You know, tr- pretending like she's writing a, tr- a term paper. You know, always emulating and trying to copy her mother and the world around her, and looking at me with eyes, you know, of trust. You know, every time she would look at me, I would say, "Wow." What a beautiful little miracle has come into my life. You know, my daughter, my daughter was my motivation. I mean, she kept me going. She, she gave me purpose, and she still gives me purpose. So this song is very, very important. And when we come back, uh, my, uh, joining me on the phone will be uh, Tina Swithin, founder of the Domestic Violence and the Family Court Awareness Month, which is happening the whole month of November. And we'll be having an in-depth conversation about her journey and the importance of this particular month, Family Court Awareness Month. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's play In My Daughter's Eyes. <laughs> Truth is plain to see She 
that song just goes to the deepest part of my heart, really, in my daughter's eyes. I mean, think of your children looking at you and hoping for the future, a better future, and trying to emulate in all the things that you do. It's just amazing. Children are just our little miracles, that's all I have to say. Anyway, for folks just joining in, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its boards of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is Tina Swithin. Welcome, Tina. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Well, Tina, before we begin, is it okay if I tell folks just a little bit about you? Absolutely. Tina Swithin is the author of Divorcing a Narcissist. It's a series found and founder of One Mom's Battle and the high-conflict divorce, and she's also a high-conflict divorce coach and has a certification from the program. In 2020, Tina founded Family Court Awareness Month, which has been embraced worldwide. Tina Swisson continues to champion children's rights through her family court advocacy. Tina is working to raise awareness of the issues in the family court system and to educate the general public on post-separation abuse and narcissistic abuse. Tina is remarried and resides in San Luis Obispo, California, with her husband and two daughters. Well, welcome, Tina. Is there anything you'd like to add to this uh, bi- very interesting bio? <laughs> Gosh, I think you have summed it up for us. Well, it's very interesting. You know, I have a daughter, and I have a today's my granddaughter's birthday, and I also have two great da- granddaughters, and here you have two daughters, and I played the special song In Our Daughter's Eyes, which I think is just a beautiful song and expresses, I think, how children feel about us and how we feel about our children. Well, to begin with, Tina, let's talk about your personal experience. And, the per- and of course, the first program, I love the title, One Mom's Battle. Uh, what was your motivation? And where, where did you get the confidence that, you know, here you're going through all, this, this, all these issues and yet you had the confidence to speak out? Where did you get that confidence? Well, you know, I often refer to myself as an accidental author and family court advocate because when I started speaking out, it was truly out of desperation and a little bit of naivety because I, I didn't understand at the time when I started sharing my family court story that it could have had a a horrible impact on me in family court. But just to bring us to that point, you know, I, I started my family court journey in 2009. I had left a domestic abuse situation, which at the time I didn't realize that it was considered abuse. Um, You know, I really like so many uh, thought of domestic violence as physical um, and while I had never been physically hit or harmed, I will tell you I am still, you know, almost 20 years later unpacking um, the what, what I went through during this relationship that was very psychologically and emotionally abusive. And so I, I made the brave decision to leave like so many people do, and that's what society tells us we should do. And I still believe that that is the the direction to go. However, what I quickly found is that the family court system is not um, trained on domestic abuse. They don't understand these dynamics of 
emotional and psychological abuse. And, you know, it's, it's really a, a venue that is prioritizing parental rights over child safety. And so it was sheer desperation after being in this system for two years and not feeling heard and and having to send my daughters into an abusive situation every single weekend, um, you know, that I, I started a blog. And at the time, it was 2011, I had been in the system for two years, and my motivation was just to share my story with friends and family because every time I tried to explain to someone after court what had happened, they were looking at me sideways, you know, and I, I could see in their eyes they were questioning, well, there has to be more to the story. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, so I, I'm trying to explain to people, no, there's nothing about this that makes sense. And um, so I started the blog and I sent the link to friends and family and I thought, you know, I'll just it would be easier than having to retell my story. They can just follow along. But what I didn't realize at the time was that Christy Brinkley, um, who is a supermodel, was also going through a very difficult divorce, and she was following my blog. Oh, my and goodness. So when she, yeah. So when she started speaking out about her own divorce and experience uh, with a narcissist, she was referring people to my blog, and so it truly Bloated. And so when I say accidental author and advocate, <laughs> there is no better descriptor. But it, but also it proves one thing. You took action and you also found a way to communicate without having to, to wear yourself out. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, someone who has a lot of, a lot of audience, you know, picks up on it because she's going through the same thing and boom, you're off. You know, that's very interesting. That's interesting. You know, when I was doing your, when I was doing all the research on you and the program and everything, and when I found, when I ended up on Amazon and I found this wonderful, this title, Divorcing a Narcissist (laughs) Series, I thought, what? motivated you i mean what that this is a book that you wrote that is now is out in the market and what was your hope what were you trying to get across to the reader i mean i love the title i mean can you explain even the title what what is what how do you see a narcissist and and what motivated you to write the book well you know i i think that there is a common you know first of all None of us are qualified, I know I'm not, to to diagnose anyone with a personality disorder. But, <laughs> you know, I think narcissism really goes to describe a set of traits in someone that they are, you know, so you don't need an actual diagnosis. You know, somebody can be very narcissistic. And I think in our society, we, we view that as, oh, you know, they look in the mirror a lot. They post a lot of selfies on Instagram. And it's so much deeper than that. You know, this is someone who, um, you know, we, we all know about domestic violence being about power and control. And this is a very, um, it's a difficult um, situation to describe because this person is so calculated and manipulative. And I've often said, when my ex-husband and I first started dating, and, and he seemed to hang on my every word, he was writing a manual and a playbook on how to hurt me, how to destroy me. You know, he truly was hanging on my every word, but it wasn't because he cared. He wanted to know my 
weak spots, my pains, you know, and um, how to how to put me up on this pedestal, which gave him the ultimate control. And so, you know, I've learned so much about what it is like to be in a relationship with this person who is not capable of empathy. They're not capable of connecting, but the level of coercion and manipulation is so intense that it's hard to describe to anyone. And it's so much different than a mental illness because a mental illness implies that there's treatment available. And when it's a a personality disorder or someone with very high narcissistic traits, there is no treatment. You know, this is just who they are. This is a broken, um, disordered individual. And so, you know, how I I chose that title, it really described my life and, and what I had been through. And going from feeling like I, when I chose the blog title, One Mom's Battle, I really did in that moment when I purchased that domain name in 2011, I really did believe I was the only person in the world going through this because no one was talking about it back then. And when Christy Brinkley really shined a a huge spotlight on this issue and I started, you know, hearing from people all over the world, I knew that I was not alone and I knew that there was an audience who needed to be seen and heard, which is why I chose that title. Amazing, amazing story, you know, which leads to me to my new next question, which you you pretty much answered how you got involved with this work. I mean, like you said, you called yourself, what was that again, an accidental writer? (laughs) Accidental author and advocate. Uh, Well, you know, but those are the best kind, you know, when 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 something happens, you know, that's so so deep in your heart and then you have all these identifiers. I know on a very personal level, uh, I interviewed uh, another woman by the name of Sarah Kohler about uh, about three or four uh, programs ago and she also talked about this month in fact we were able to go in front of the Human Rights Commission here in Sonoma County a special shout out to Christina the the head of the uni- the chair of the Human Rights Commission boy she got it on the agenda right away and it looks like we're going to have a Sonoma County resolution honoring this month as you know as family awareness in the court system and our our district attorney uh, Jill Ravage when I called her and, and talked to her about this she said oh I never heard about it and she supported it immediately so you know it gives you that uh, that idea that there are the people out there that that will support it but for me personally it just brought up all my memories when i went when i was getting divorced and i for, I, I i literally put it in the back shelf i didn't even want to think about it i wanted it to be over right. and gone and all of a sudden i realized the abuse and 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 the lies that you have to go through sometimes even to, to even to get out of something like this because nobody's listening to you is it, it's very frustrating so congratulations for this honor this is just a great success that you've had well let's talk about that november is family court awareness month what is this about and why do you think it's important you know it's 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 a a kind of even though it's it's gaining steam across the country it's still an unknown entity so why why do you think it's important and how can people help you get the word out yeah i would argue that our family court system is the most important branch of our judicial system because it it holds children's lives in its hands and and these children are our future and the fact is 
you know, myself and so many others, when we start this process through family court, we, we go in naively believing that children are heard and that their best interest is what is at the forefront of all decision-making, and that's absolutely not what's happening. We have children who are being, you know, it's a very conservative estimate, 58,000 per year sent into abusive situations, and there are a lot of children who have been failed in the ultimate way. They've been murdered because their, the, the family court system did not listen to their protective parents in trying to secure their safety because, again, this is where parental rights seem to trump children's rights. And so, you know, and, and it is such an isolating journey that unless you go through it, you really have no idea uh, that the failures are happening at such a significant rate and so it's our goal to shine a huge spotlight on this issue because, you know, it needs to be everyday citizens standing with us and linking arms and saying no more. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point. As you're talking, I'm thinking about it. You know, I mean, when when there's abuse, oftentimes there's, say, restraining orders or stuff like that that goes on, That you know, or there's neighbors' complaints that happen. But also... What is it, you know, it sounds like when, when you have the abuse and they go into the, into, I guess it has to do with visitation rights, etc. It's almost like you never leave the marriage. You never right. leave the, the abuse. It's, it's constantly with you if there's not some control. Is that, is that what you're kind of talking about? Absolutely, because what I found in my own case is that this is a person who had no bond or relationship with our daughters. And he wasn't capable of having one because of his issues, his personality disordered issues. But in the family court system, he sees the girls, my daughters or other children, you know, in other situations as weapons. And so it's the only way they can maintain power and control. And, and the family court system becomes their stage and their platform to do this. And when we're dealing with a family court system that is so overburdened with deadbeat parents that if anyone stands up and says, hey, I, I want to have a, you know, give me a shot at this, as long as that person has a pulse, they are going, the bar is very low, you know, so they're going to give them a chance and to the detriment of children. You know, their, their reasons for wanting to be in the children's lives are not honorable. It's all about maintaining power and control, and they know that the children are the number one way to do that because that is my number one button. Well, it's it's it's, also, it's a hot button for sure. You know, I mean, yes. I mean, you know, a woman will, if God forbid, you have your child gets caught under a car, they can lift it. I mean, that's how right. how powerful that mother sense yes. it. But you know, there's there's another issue. As I was reading and as as I was going through it, I was thinking, I was just I was kind of playing the devil's advocates, and I was thinking, okay, if I was this abusive man, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, the court says, no, you can't have it. It you can't have that child. It doesn't seem like you're saying no, you can't have it. What you're asking Asking, it sounds like you're asking the court, and I, just to clarify this, you're saying that you want more control. Say, for example, when they visit, that maybe they have someone that's there for them, and there's some sort of evaluation going on continually. Is that how you? Is that what you're talking about? And that's not necessarily made available at the gate, 
Right. You know, there there needs to be, you know, it, first of all, I mean, I would I would go so far as to say that I am not of the belief that two parents are always better than one. I do believe that there are some parents who do not deserve a place in a child's life. And so when we're in a court system that does not understand, they don't have training in domestic abuse. And that that concept is really hard for people to grasp because, you know, if you were going to go and be a dog groomer, you would have a certain amount of training. If you were going to medical school, whatever it is, um, most judicial officers across the country have zero training in trauma, in domestic violence, and, and that's hard for, for most people to, to believe. And so they don't understand how a perpetrator presents in court. They don't understand how a child victim of abuse presents. They're not trained in these things. And so because of that, we're failing the kids and we're sending them into unsafe situations. So, you know, there are parents who, who may be unsafe, but they do still deserve a spot in the child's life. And in those situations, we need to ensure that there are professional supervisors there to make sure the child is safe. But, you know, it really comes down to we need to be listening to our child, our children. If, if a child says, I'm not safe with this person, we need to lean in. I know it's it's uh, it's really a perplexing problem. Again, you know, I'm thinking about my own my own experience in my own relationship and and the divorce and and some of the trials and tribulations you have to go through because there are no controls. And so I hear what you're saying. So you're saying that there's several things. The, the first thing, the most important thing, it sounds to you like to me is that people in the court systems have some sort of understanding and training and some sort of empathy and understanding around what is going on in that particular family's life and to act accordingly. And then secondly is that people who can have or, or say are at a point where they are able to have visitation that there's they have some control like there's some somebody there with them or someone at least evaluating is that that's what you're saying right safe, yes safety measures in place supervi- supervision for these children you know if there is ever a doubt when it comes to child safety or if anyone um, you know lodges a complaint that a child may potentially be unsafe we should always be erring on the side of caution. You know, that, that is just common sense. And, you know, and, and so there are so many issues. You know, there is judges and other family court professionals have complete immunity in these situations. And it's, it's one of the only professions in the world where you have, you know, if, if you make an error, there is no accountability for it. And that's a huge part of the problem well let's let's hold it at that thought because another thing you said is important for women to speak out even when they go to court with their even though they have lawyers to let people know let those who are working with them i call it kind of this dance you know you you're trying to go to the next step that they need to have a little bit more compassion and understanding but also that the woman or, or the man whoever is involved at that point has to be able to speak out so there's a song that i pick it i hope it's okay with you tina we're going to take a little a musical break and then continue our conversation is that okay i'm going to play this song it's called quiet and it's a song by m-i-l-c-k i don't know how they it's called milik i guess it's a it's in a 
little history about this song. She wrote the, this song, Quiet, with her co-author, Adrian. And the, the, the reason behind writing the song uh, was to draw attention to uh, the, uh, the experience of domestic violence, depression, and anorexia. And it was inspired by a nightmare in which she had, she was being assaulted by a bystander in her dream and told her that she just had to stay quiet and that was it. And so she wrote this song. And so I think it's a very powerful song and I think it really blends in to what we're talking about. And when I, when we return, folks, I will continue my conversation with Tina Swithin, founder of One Mom's Battle and in 2020 founded the Domestic Violence Family Court Awareness Month, which is happening right now in november so let's go ahead ken let's play that song quiet and then we will be turning to continue our conversation put on your face know your place shut up and smile don't spread your I could do that But no Thank you. 
song is so powerful. I mean, the idea of keeping quiet, and that's, you know, I remember when I was in kindergarten, and they wrote in my report card, Elaine should understand that children should be seen and not heard. I mean, it's like an old lineage that women have had, you know, silence is golden. I mean, come on. Lots of things. <laughs> anyway, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Bases, and I'm in conversation with Tina Swithin, founder of the One Mom One Mom's Battle, and we are talking about the Domestic Violence Family Court Awareness Month, which is happening right now here in November. And also, we're looking at Sonoma County actually going to be doing a resolution honoring this month. So welcome back, Tina, and thank you so much for hanging in there with me. Absolutely. No, and that, that song is, you know, it's what we want to raise our children, our daughters, especially, you know, believing that their voice is powerful and that it should be heard and it should. But then you get into family court and it's such a wake up call that, you know, it's, you're, you're actually not heard. And, you know, as much as we need everyone standing up and and raising their voices about this issue Uh, you know when I said when I started my blog that there was a part of me that was very naive I didn't realize how much it could have actually hurt my case to use my voice and to speak out about what was happening I'm one of the lucky ones because many women when they do speak out and share even a simple social media post can be used against them in a very damaging way in family court. And so there's this, you know, messaging from society versus what it actually looks like when you are in that system. It's it's painful. I'm telling you, reading about it and and listening to you and also listening to Sarah, it's given me a whole new perspective. Well, you know, there's a few things that I'd just like to go over with you really quickly. You know, number one is, do you have any ideas of how we can bring more accountability into the, into the courts? And, and when I was, when I interviewed Sarah, one of the things, uh, one of the questions that we were talking about was, uh, how did you see the big picture solution in this crisis is, you know, passing the Children's Bill of Rights? You know, when I was on the Human Rights Commission, uh, it became very clear to me that there was a Children's Bill of Rights, but yet it has never been, it really, really has not been passed so how does that how does that integrate or how does that bring about more awareness and maybe uh, more accountability having something like a a, a a resolution of children's rights absolutely you know those are the things that we need and that is the direction that you know we're going and and that we're seeing legislators start to pay attention to these issues there was a huge huge victory this year with the Violence Against Women's Act passing and actually including, for the first time, Caden's Law, which is a little girl in Pennsylvania who was murdered. Her mom, Kathy, is a, um, has become a friend of mine. But it is the first time the federal government has recognized that we have a crisis in the family court system. And so while we have a lot of work to do, we are moving in the right direction, and it does give me hope. Um, you know, we and and the one thing that I really see as the huge tipping point and shift is that the media is starting to pay attention. And I remember years ago when a reporter in my area was doing a story on my case, and he said, you know, we actually have a policy against covering family court stories, and and explained to me that. 
one of the reasons why is because they have to go into the details so, you know, deeply. And it took him four or five days, eight-hour days at the court to go through my entire case to verify that everything I was seeing was the truth. And that's a huge problem. But the media, is we're starting to see investigative journalist pieces, and it's making the people in the family court system sit up a little bit straighter. Because if they make a decision that is not in the best interest of the child and it's exposed, you know, it is very much career suicide for them. And so, you know, it's they're not making the right decisions for the right reasons. <laughs> and and because we don't have judi- – because there is um, – you know, they are – they have immunity to these issues. They're not held accountable professionally or personally or financially. The 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 best case scenario outside of that is the media shining a spotlight on what they are doing. And so, you know, those things do give me hope for change. Wow, amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, there's there's several other things I think is so important to cover here. You know, it's you know to talk about how it really affects the whole community as a whole, and also how do you see you know what part does money play in the continuation of these of these human rights? I mean, how does how does that how does that work into it? It's a huge part of the problem. You are, we are seeing. You know, first of all, you've got um, CPS, who really focuses on um, lower-income families and, and, you know, targeting people who are impoverished and and really struggling. And then at the upper end of it, you have, um, they're, they're called, like, reunification services that focus on higher-income families. And then everybody in the middle is just processed through the system, you know, and but in this system, regardless of where you are at in it, whether it's the, the middle class section or the upper middle class section, there's a there's a lot of professionals making a lot of money. This is an incredibly lucrative industry. And the more money you have, the more services you are forced to take, whether it's a $20,000 child custody evaluation that is going to put you into the same square you'd be at if you just went through the system, 50-50 custody, because, again, it's all about parental rights versus what's actually best for the kids. You know, so I watch, you know, every once in a while on our platform, One Mom's Battle, we'll ask people, how do you, you know, how much money have you spent? And and the numbers are outrageous. You know, you'll see comments, you know, I spent one and a half million dollars and I'm only at year three. That's just on legal bills. So it's, it is, it's a very lucrative industry and there's a lot of professionals who, um, make a lot of money off of people in their deepest, darkest pain, you know, painful periods. Well, how do you, how do you feel? How do you, how do you see passing a children's bill of rights? How do you feel that, how do you believe, what do you believe that what kind of impact do you think that'll be, that would make? I mean, that's something that I have been very, very interested in. I was actually shocked to realize that it's, it's a struggle to get something like this passed. I, I think anything that moves towards the direction of children's rights versus adults' rights um, is the right direction to be going. And then it's, you know, I... 
I'll tell you, the family court system is very much like the wild, wild west. Even with laws and regulations and resolutions, you know, you could walk into five different um, courtrooms and you're going to leave with five different outcomes with the exact same case and circumstances because there is no oversight and no regulation. So, you know, there's an example here in California that's recently transpired. Um, there's a young lady in Santa Cruz County who is 15 years old. By all accounts, she, and according to the California laws, she should have a voice at the age of 14 years old. However, she was just forced into a reunification camp against her will and removed in a very violent fashion. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one thing to get these bills and resolutions and everything through. It's another to hold these judicial officers accountable to follow them. And that's the biggest problem because there, there's no oversight. You can't, there's, you go to and complain about a judge. It's just going to be heard by other judges and you don't really see any accountability in this system. Well, you know, that seems to be, that's very interesting, you know, here in Sonoma County, that's a huge word, accountability and oversight. It's just amazing. Well, you know, Tina, time goes by when you're having fun (laughs) very quickly. (laughs) And we've come, we've come to the end of our segment and I would like you to, any last words you have, anything on your mind that we haven't covered that you think is very important to express to our, to our listeners. And also, if you could tell us uh, uh, final words, your websites and any suggestions that you have for people and how they can acknowledge this. You know, I'm, I really want to encourage people. I will be announcing on www.womenspace com when when we go to the board of supervisors for the resolution uh, that women can get involved to show the support in the community but any any ideas you have how people can acknowledge this month what are things they can do and of course your websites absolutely the i i truly do believe another one of the big turning points and shifts will be when everyday citizens link arms with us and say no more because You don't have an understanding of what's happening until you personally become involved in the system. And I really put out a call to action to people not to wait for that, not to wait until it's your neighbor or your daughter or your best friend's child. You know, really start getting involved now because when everyday citizens link arms with us and say no more and demand better from our judicial officers, that's where we are going to see change. And that's truly what we need. So, I encourage everyone to go to familycourtawarenessmonth.org and and click get involved and and really try to support any way you can um, because it, it's truly going to take a lot of villages to to change this broken system. And how can they get a hold of you personally? And how about how they can get your books or anything that you, and you, and you yeah. say you have? You say you have a blog. I do. So my main website is onemomsbattle.com, and there you will have a a bunch of resources. My books, I do online courses, we have communities, people can join state by state for free because I believe no one should go through this alone, and we do know what an isolating journey it is. So onemomsbattle.com is the hub for everything that I do and follow us on social media, connect with us over there. Well, Tina Swift and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the show and 
a congratulations for the success of the work that you've done. I mean, you have opened up a whole new area for people. I mean, and it's so interesting. You know, Margaret Reed, Margaret Mead said, never underestimate the power of a human being when they decide to do something. And I really want to, I really want to congratulate you with that. And thank you so much for being on the program. And I look forward to hearing from you again and any support that we can give you. Please do not hesitate to let us know. Grateful for your support. Thank you so much. Take care. You too, my friend. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for our show. Oh, my goodness, I got the chills. A special thank you to Tina Swithin, founder of the Domestic Violence and the Family Court Awareness Month, which is happening the whole month of, of November. And to to be aware that, you know, there are resolutions that are going out. I, I want to do a shout-out to the city of Sonoma because they've already done a resolution. And, again, I want to do a shout-out to the Sonoma County uh, Commission on the sta- – uh, um, excuse me, Sonoma County Human Rights Commission and also for, to our uh, – District Attorney Jill Ravage for supporting the resolution and for, you know, making sure that we here in Sonoma County and in Northern California are made aware of this. And we must always remember our children are the future, and it is important not to lose sight of that and to get involved. Do something, but speak out. If you see an injustice, if you see something you don't like, speak out. Write a letter to the editor. Call your representative. And above all, don't be afraid to speak out. It's so important. Well, this is Elaine B. Holt, and you've been listening to Women's Spaces. And remember, like I say every week, our children are the future. We must never lose sight of that. You know, when you think about it, and I think about it all the time, each and every one of us has always has been a child, whether you're, you know, whether you're a, a bank robber or, a, a, you know, a professional, you know, you, everyone has been a child, and that child deserves a future. And the way we secure the future is by making sure they're educated and making sure they're, fel- they're fed well, they have good medical, and they have all the things that they need to exist. And a special reminder that Women's Spaces replays tonight at 11 o'clock and I look forward to being with you the next time and thank you so much for listening this is Elaine B. Holt you've been listening to Women's Spaces and I look forward to being with you the next time she'll take you home now the woman in your life she can The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, November 14th, 2022.